Welcome to Life Turned On, where we share and celebrate the stories of sexual self-discovery in midlife and beyond. Society tells us women's sexuality ends once she reaches a certain age, her body changes, or even when she reaches certain milestones such as motherhood or menopause. They want to turn us off, but we are committed to living life turned on, full of pleasure, deep joy, and an authentic expression of self. Listen in as we share stories of women who are ditching old scripts to pursue their own path to pleasure in their lives and their sexuality. I'm your host, Shauna Stewart, and I want you to get ready for honest conversations, practical advice, and inspiration along the way, because here at Life Turned On, we believe that pleasure is our birthright and the time to claim it is now. Hi friends, welcome back. So as we have listened to stories of sexual self-discovery in midlife and beyond, many of which of these happened in season one, one of the common drivers I've picked up on for embarking on a sexual self-discovery journey has been divorce. So often our guests have experienced sexless or deeply unsatisfying, sometimes even maybe abusive relationships on a variety of levels. And the end of the marriage ends up being an invitation to grow, to learn, to thrive, and to experience joy and a whole new level. So today's guest has not only experienced divorce herself and alchemized this experience into profound personal transformation resulting in vibrancy and joy, She's also used this experience to help other women do the same. So I'm excited to dive into the topic of divorce to see what we can all learn about ourselves through her stories and her wisdom. So our guest, Michelle Heffron, is a certified life relationship and divorce coach who helps women navigate through major life transitions like divorce with grace, dignity, and love. She transitioned into coaching after spending decades in corporate and nonprofit leadership roles where she discovered her true passion is mentoring and helping women create the life they desire, especially through a major life transition. She reinvented her life at the age of 48 after experiencing the trauma of emotional and financial abuse, divorce and single motherhood and believes that divorce can and should be done differently than what so many of us have come to know. Her holistic approach to coaching is heart-centered, values-based, oh, I love all of this, grounded in the principles of energy as the source of being. She is a member of the National Divorce Coalition and a trusted partner of the Divorce Girl Smiling Network. So welcome, Michelle. Is there anything else you wanna share about yourself so we can get to know you a bit more? Wow, no, I'm I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I don't know if I mentioned in there that I, I well, I, I mentioned that I was a single mother, but my, my children are both grown up now. I have a daughter who's 35 and I have a son who is 25 and they both live in different towns. One's in Houston, one's in San Diego, but I am uh, very close to both of them and extremely proud. <laughs> oh, that's very sweet. And you're located in the Bellevue area, correct? I am. I am. I live right in downtown Bellevue with my golden doodle Izzy at my side at all times. <laughs> oh, I dream of having a golden doodle, doodle, ah, golden doodle so bad. My husband's very allergic to animals, so it's not on our oh, list anytime soon. And she's 
18 years old and you'd never know. And she's a big one. She's like one of the uh, original models. Oh, very fun. Well, can you tell me a little bit about, you said in the bio that you believe that divorce can and should be done differently. What does that mean to you? Yeah. Well, gosh, where do I start on that one? So when I Mm -hmm. went through my, uh, my second divorce several years ago now, nearly 15 years ago, I made just major, major, major mistakes. I it didn't handle myself well, even though I thought I was. I was being very stoic and I thought I was managing my emotions well. I thought I'd done the right things in terms of hiring an attorney and I had a therapist. And I even went to my uh, pastor at my church at the time. And I walked away from all of these people still feeling completely lost. I didn't realize that, A, all attorneys aren't the same, and they practice different areas of family law, or they manage divorce differently, I should say. I didn't know what even questions to ask my attorney at the time to help me through the process. I used him as a therapist half the time, and I and that's a very very expensive way to get therapy mm-hmm. um, because they don't <laughs> care. I mean, I don't mean to say they don't care. They're very uh, many of them are very caring and loving people, but they're there to manage the law. That right. is what they're there for. They are not there to help you manage your emotions. My therapist wasn't familiar enough. I mean, she knew about divorce, of course, but she didn't know anything about the process of the divorce or what I needed to do step-by-step to keep me moving in the right direction. And I felt a little alienated in my church community after going through or going to my pastor. And so Mm -hmm. I realized as I became a coach and later in life that had I had a little bit more guidance through this process, it wouldn't have taken me years to recover and reinvent my life, which it did. And I'm now glad to say I'm so much farther along and through it all. But I could have done that more quickly if I had had some guidance on even how to visualize the outcome I wanted of my divorce. I would have done it differently if I had even known what are the really necessary steps that need to happen. And when I'm coming to these emotional roller coaster feelings, how do I contain those in a way that I'm able to see beyond what my emotions were telling me I needed to do at the time and do what I needed to do for the outcome I truly wanted in my life? And so that's what I mean about differently. I mean, I think oftentimes I see people who underestimate the toll of the emotional piece of divorce. Mm. And thinking they've got all of their ducks in a row, but not really having their emotions enough in check where they're making well-informed decisions about hundreds and hundreds of the decisions they have to make during a divorce. Mm-hmm. So what kind of is your vision for your, yourself or clients around divorce? Yeah, well, the first thing is I want... Uh, my my whole thing is it's not my agenda, uh-huh. but I it's not you know it's not ever my agenda. It's really the agenda of my client. Um, and I always the second thing is I always want to make sure that people are feeling safe in their situation because there's a lot of places or um, situations I might say 
where people really don't feel safe and they don't feel safe sharing with their friends or family members that they're not safe. And safety comes in a lot of different ways. But then when we get beyond that next point, it's it's really thinking about, I look at it as from a, an alternative um, conflict resolution from what we've typically done. And I like to help people start to envision what outcomes they want to see in their life from the beginning like how do you want how do you want to start your life over at the end of this uh-huh. and then we talk about how are the values that you attach to your life going to help you get to where you want to go and so i really start with that whole idea of start with the end in mind and set some goals around it and then set some goals around what you really want. And along the way, oftentimes things change because we think we want X, Y, and Z at the beginning, or we want to go out and just take, 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 or, um, you know, to, to be punishing your spouse, your ex spouse, mm-hmm. or sometimes we just want to give up everything and just get on with it. But none of those decisions are grounded really in your values or what's going to benefit you at the end of this. And it's really thinking about, you know, financially, emotionally, uh, if you've got children, all of these things play in to how you're managing yourself from the beginning and helping you get to the outcome you're trying to get to. I like to say that I help people decide how they want to show up. Okay. Um, And if you want to show up like a victim, it's probably not going to get you to the outcome you really want. If you want to show up as a bitch, I hope I can say that on here. Yeah. (laughs) It's probably not going to get you where you want. Yeah. So if you're going to show, you know, it's really thinking about what is the woman, what does that woman look like that you need to be to get to point where you, you feel good about your life going forward? Because the idea for me is that this doesn't define who you are right now. Mm -hmm. This is a point in your life and it's an event that's happening and everybody gets to choose how they're going to get through this. And when we start understanding that Every decision along the way is their decision. And sometimes we don't feel like it because we feel powerless. Mm -hmm. But when we learn how to step into our own power and behave in a way that is going to get us where we want to go, and maybe, maybe, maybe you don't always have control, but what you do have control of is how you're looking at the situation and how you're going to behave through it. And then what are you going to do? And I really, really work on getting to that holistic piece of people. So um, knowing that this is just an event, unfortunate event. I'm not, I don't, I know that there's a lot of weight. It, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of pain involved. Oftentimes there's a lot of fear that goes into, and it's really helping to dispel some of those things and dismantle things so you can rebuild how you want it to be. Yeah. And also I love what you're saying there is that it's an event. It's not your identity. You have so much other power and life to live that can lead you to your identity besides this one event. So yeah, I love that point that you're making there. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about your own divorce journey, what that looked like, like kind of what inspired the divorces and what you learned about yourself through that process? 
Yeah, and, and there's a lot to it. So I'm going to try to simplify this as much as possible. My first um, marriage ended just about, oh, within about four and a half, five years. And at the time, we had a small daughter. She was, um, I think, two and a half when uh, we split up. <clears throat> and I came from an ginormous Catholic family. And it was a really, really hard time for me to even acknowledge the fact that I needed to get out of this situation because it, something wasn't right. And it took me years to understand what was really happening in that first marriage. And it turns out that it was highly abusive from the emotional standpoint. And um, I didn't know what was going on, and I won't reveal all of the ins and outs of it, but I didn't realize what the addiction my ex had and what led into our divorce at that time until he was remarried and going through his second divorce. And the woman that he married is a very good friend of mine, and we actually collaborate in business now together, but we co-parented my daughter at the time. And it wasn't revealed to me until they went through their divorce. And so it was 20 years after, 23 years maybe after my first divorce that I realized what was happening in, in that marriage. Wow. So I fast forward, I was remarried to someone who I thought was completely opposite of the first one. And in very many ways he was, but it turned into a very emotionally and financially abusive situation. I had left um, a very good corporate job to be a stay-at-home mom, which I was so excited about. I really had always wanted to see what it was like to be able to, you know, um, take care of my own child because my daughter, my the first one, you know, I'd send her to daycare and it just was crushing to do that. After not having a job, all of a sudden I became like the hired help in our house. And I, it was a very controlling situation, very abusive in terms of emotional abuse. It wasn't physical harm, but it was a lot. And it, and it spilled over into everything we did. Lots of people noticed it, but no one really understood what it was going on. Um, and the financial piece, I didn't even know how financially abused I was until I um, received a text message. I had written a check for my daughter's college tuition, and I texted him to let him know I had sent it. And he goes, oh, well, that might be a problem because I had to taken off the bank account. Wow. And I was like, wait, how can you do that? But I was only a signer. I didn't know. So when I left, when I literally left, I left pretty much everything behind except for my clothes. And um, my son, who was uh, in the fifth, going into the sixth grade at the time, and I literally started over. I moved into a tiny little cottage up in Snoqualmie, um, which was near my son's school at the time. I didn't have a job. I was getting um, a little bit of money from him every month. And I didn't have a credit card. And I really didn't know what the hell I was going to do. It was as scary a time I mean, still get a little emotional about it. I'm getting emotional about it. <laughs> I'm like, my I mean, eyes are burning with scary. And you know what? If you knew me, if you knew me, you would never have thought that was me. You, hmm. No one would have ever thought. I mean, I was the mom, like the super mom at school by that time who was running the school auctions and, 
I was doing other big stuff and no one could have ever imagined that that was my life. Mm. So, you know, I just knew that I could do so much more. I don't know what it was. I just knew that I wasn't going down like that. That's not who I was. Now, I floundered around for a long time. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't until I hired my first coach, actually. And then years later, as I worked my way up the corporate ladder and got some really great jobs, making a lot of money, I was working for an organization and they, uh, we educated the difference between, we educated young people about the difference between healthy and unhealthy relationships. Hmm. And I will tell you, it wasn't until that time I realized how dangerously close I was to just completely losing myself in this vortex of this unhealthy relationship that I had been in. Wow. And it was also about that time I decided, you know what? My my mission, my ministry is to help other women uh-huh. go through this. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. I The bravery of women who are willing to choose themselves and choose their family and yeah. get out of those situations is phenomenal. And I, you know, I have a lot of conversations with people kind of going through similar things like in now or in the last couple of years. And it takes a lot of courage because even as bad as it is, it's comfortable. Like oftentimes it's comfortable, what is known as comfortable. And what I also kind of heard you saying a little bit too, you just touched on is like emotional abuse is much harder to identify. Like you don't have the evidence of something physical, like a hit or a slap or something like that. And so it's much more confusing. It's much more difficult to identify and you're right. And then your identity gets confused in that as well. Or probably like, I feel like there's so much gaslighting in our cultures and in these relationships. Even by your own friends sometimes, because, you know, people will say, well, I mean, people looked at my life and I lived in a big house and I had a beautiful car and I had lovely things. And people said, why? What will you leave all that for? And I'm like, well, my sanity. And they thought I was really crazy. But I think that happens a lot. I'm working with a client just right now and going that roller coaster. of Am I, am I crazy? Am I making all this up? Or is this really happening to me? And that is, it it happens. And it's not just that easy to leave. I remember my mother really wanted me to leave at the time. I go, I can't just, what am I going to do? And we can't just leave. I mean, you know, it got to the point where I finally did. And then when I did, I realized that making that leap was the biggest freedom or shot at freedom I could have ever given myself. But it still was scary. And and financially, I struggled for a long time. And um, I think that's another reason that it's easy to stay is because if you've got clothes and food and, you know, a pedicure every now and then you're you're living large. And that that was a tough that was a tough hurdle and saving face and looking like, you know, you don't have anything or you're that person who, you know, can't join all your girlfriends for dinner because you can't afford it. And these, these all factor in to the decisions we make to trade off our life sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's deep. It sounds like you learned that you have a lot of courage and tenacity, but I'm wondering if maybe you can kind of elaborate either on that or what else you learned about yourself through these journeys and maybe things that you had to unlearn. Because I think that that's another thing that I hear often is, especially as we get into this like midlife and beyond phase of life of we just kind of absorb a lot of things in our early years. And then we get to this point where we're like, oh, maybe these aren't these ideas or values aren't serving us anymore. What do I have to unlearn and let go of? I'm wondering if you could talk a little about that. That is such a great question because that's absolutely, it's like the work I do, but it's also the work I do on myself because I think we teach or we share, or we mentor on things that we want to learn and yes. grow in our own life. Uh-huh. And all of those, um, that you just mentioned are huge. And so, gosh, I think there's a few things that stand out for me. And it took me a long time to really come to terms with this, but I was outward looking a lot mm. and making everything else in my life my source, if you will. Mm. And if somebody would have told me, for instance, that I was being controlling, I was like, I am, I, that is the farthest thing away from me. But I had to, um, that was one of the biggest things that I heard is that by trying to manipulate the situation all the time, and what, whether I'm withholding information or how much I'm willing to share or things like that, there was always a sense of, trying to control the picture around me. And um, and then when I had to, I, I learned how to go inside deeper and look who I'm really being through that process. And I remember the very day I discovered that about myself. It's actually when I was going through my um, coaching certification and when they were taking us through this exercise and I was, I felt like something just hit me in the face and went, oh my God, I've been trying to control everybody's situation and where they are and how their feelings are and everybody mm. else. Like, I'm not concerned about really how I'm being through this. I was trying to, you know, uh, mold what was on the outside. And so that was a huge learning through this whole journey, I, I suppose I call it. And the other really big piece of it is I've become uh, and built up a pretty dedicated meditation um, routine, journaling, writing, and and just being with myself a lot more than I ever would have allowed. I wanted to fill in every space in moment and time so I didn't have to really think internally. But when I started to go inside and listen to what my heart was telling me, you learn a lot about yourself and you start to apply what you're learning along the way. And I think it was like I was reading every self-help book you could possibly imagine. <sighs> and I loved it all. And I was reading and reading and somebody would tell me something and I would say, yeah, yeah, oh, I know that. And one day somebody said, well, how are you applying that in your life? 
Oh. That, oh my God, I'm actually not really taking the action. I know. So knowledge is really, it's that first step. And for me, I had to learn that knowledge wasn't enough. It was when you start applying it and then start behaving in a way that the knowledge is expressed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a I'm kind of guilty of that too. I'm a big bookworm. I'm always reading like three to five books at a time. But one mm -hmm. of the things that I've started noticing about myself is when it gets to like activities, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll just think about that. I'll get that one done in a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't really like take the time to like do the actual exercise. Exactly. And, oh and my gosh, then, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's something I just like became aware of. I'm like, maybe if I were taking the time to read these books, I should have maybe make the effort to maybe do some of the exercises they're offering and see what I can learn through that. But I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what emotional and physical intimacy look like in these relationships that you had and maybe what you learned about yourself and what you needed emotionally and physically, um, either with yourself or with another partner as a result of these uh, marriages and divorces? Yeah, I think there's, for me in particular, there's a lot um, that goes into that one. I don't know that leading up to my first marriage, I ever really had a very, um, I guess, a healthy uh, sex life in a lot of ways. I mean, mm. there was always, and I think, um, a lot of the Catholic background came into play with the guilt around sex. And then in my first marriage, it was so interesting. And this was, should, this was uh, not for me. It was a red flag for many people, but not for me. I um, lived with my fiance for a year and we didn't have sex. Because we were waiting, not, and I mean, yeah. it's not like we had. Ever, I had waited for anybody else in the past, so yeah, it was certainly there. And then it came so rare and so infrequently in between when we finally did get married that I was like, "Well, that's kind of weird." And then I heard him say something really like, "Oh, just so." disrespectful of me one day he was in a conversation with some friends and he said well I I just poke her once a week and she's fine and like oh, oh my god is that my fucking my life yeah, you're you could say that that's fine okay <laughs> all right yeah um and I was like okay this is weird and I still I mean there was no like should I get this checked out? Should I, I mean, you know, there was nothing that said, I just didn't get it. Hmm. And then move on to the next one. <laughs> this is the funniest thing. He, um, when things were going south fast and he knew that I had to step out the door, you know, we had completely uh, ended any relationship pretty much and uh, physically. He told me one day and he goes, Hey, I know you're probably leaving and that's fine, but I I still think we should have sex. And I go, I don't think so. And he goes, Well, it's your duty and it oh. says so in the Bible. Okay. 
No. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Those two experiences sort of sum it up for you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I get full body rage with the word duty. So true of so many women's experiences is either believing that like they've internalized that it's sex is a duty to somebody else yes. or their partner has internalized that belief that their wife is in service to them. And, yes. you know, like even in my own, I grew up in the Christian church and that idea was just drilled in directly or indirectly for so many years. And I think that like my husband never expected that of me. My husband never like gave any indication. In fact, like every time I would allude or talk a little bit about like this idea of duty, he would, you know, very much reject that idea, but I'd so deeply internalized it. And then I was like, why don't I like want it much or enjoy it much? It's just like, cause I don't want to work. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm like this, um, yeah. I mean, like the way your, your first husband described it, like, just like you're sitting there and being like, like a mechanic, you know, like it's it's so mechanical and transactional and very little on pleasure or connection or intimacy or fun and play. play. I think that's what um, I learned through this process um, is that there's so much more fun to it. And when Mm. we start to um, let it be that now, I am, you know, optimistic for my uh, days to come that there's that right person who's going to be there to um, that sees that beauty in it all. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's actually, you know, on the list for that next uh, that next love that I have coming into my life. So. Yeah, he's not here yet, but I've, I'm yeah. optimistic. <laughs> but that's something that you've identified as really meaningful and important to you and wanting to find that in a partner. Well, yes, because, you know, we bring this energy to any relationship we're in. And it's part of who we are as women. It's a uh-huh. female energy. And I mean, we have both female and male energy or masculine and feminine energy. And there is this balance between them, but that feminine energy is also that side that needs that love and that nurturing and that intimate connection and um, the feeling of just being loved, being cherished. And I think that is such an important thing that many of us were never taught. Mm -hmm. And it is part of what I, I believe that, you know, we should learn about ourselves, that this is okay, mm-hmm. and it feels beautiful, and it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love, too, that, like, just given your kind of, those are pretty significant and pretty negative experiences that you had, that you're still pursuing that in your life. You know, like you have I don't a think I would have been better. there, honestly. I don't think I would have been to this point had I not gotten a lot of um, invested in my own self Uh and understood what possibilities and opportunities were actually out there for me. I really don't think I would have gotten there. I, I, I needed a lot of help seeing that for what I am 
and who I who I am and what I need in my life. And I wasn't willing to give myself that permission earlier in my life. Mm. So we kind of talked a little bit about the reasons for your own divorces and experiences. You work with and help and support a number of women who are going through divorce. What are you kind of seeing? And I hate to reduce like the end of a relationship and the profound impact all that has to a trend. But also I'm curious, kind of like what are the common themes you're seeing or trends that you're seeing in terms of why relationships are ending and what people are looking for as a result of making that decision? What do they want instead? Yeah, this is a great question. I'm seeing a few things out there. In working with some of the younger women, I'm seeing this trend in them taking control of their life earlier in their life. Mm -hmm. Yep. Understanding that they actually do have some power. Starting to recognize when things aren't, when there's something really off in their marriage, uh, p- particularly I work with, the, I, I have the 10 signs of what's healthy and unhealthy in relationships. And when you start to identify some of the behaviors that are happening in relationships and more of them are unhealthy than healthy, it's either time to get help in turning that around or if it's beyond help, then finding a way out of it. So that's one trend I'm seeing. And I'm seeing a lot of that um, before kids are involved. But the other really big one right now is the trend for older people who are going through this 50, 55. I even have a couple of clients who are in their 60s. And for a number of reasons, it's become monotonous. It's, there's abuse, there's drinking, there's, there's things that uh, when retirement comes along and one of them's idea of retirement is sitting in a recliner and watching game shows and TV all day for going up to their isolated lake house and not seeing anybody. Uh And the other one's idea is being able to spend this time together finally after they've both worked all these years and travel and do some fun things and the kids are gone and not taking care of the grandchildren, whatever it is, and they're not in alignment or who they are at that moment in time. And in alignment is something that I come across with quite a bit. Uh When things aren't in alignment with what values you hold for yourself, then living in a situation and potentially looking for at another 20, 30 years Uh in that situation, you're going, "Uh, you know, I don't think this is what I signed up for. And when they realize they actually have a choice, they're looking at different opportunities out there. And I think that's another really big one. Wow. Who's uh, initiating most of the divorces that you're helping people navigate? I would say the majority of them right now are women. Yeah. Women are taking that first step. There's this, um, what do they call it? It's the uh, walk away wife syndrome. And oh, I haven't um, heard of this. Yeah. So, and I can relate to this in, in, in a little bit of a way, you know, you get, you, you tolerate you. I have to help people see what are you tolerating in your life, but you tolerate 
and you tolerate and you tolerate. And one day you go, where did I go? Where do I fit into this? I don't belong here. The kids are gone. He's doing something on his own terms all the time. We don't do anything together. I'm here. I mean, there's so many scenarios and they finally, when they're asking for help during, you know, like attention during the marriage and there's all these things that are coming up, they're getting ignored. And Mm -hmm. one day they snap and they said, screw it. I'm out of here. And they realize they actually can do that. And so that is, that's called the walk away wife syndrome. And it's very, very rampant right now. Yeah. Well, 70%, my understanding is 70% of divorces are being initiated by women right now. Mm-hmm. And what you were describing is exactly what I'm hearing. Even just like, you know, in the studies and the research, but in very personal conversations with people is people are kind of waking up earlier and unwilling to sacrifice their very being and who you are and this one life we get. And, you know, I think like, I don't know if you've read Esther Perel's Mating in Captivity. It's it's a really interesting book. She talks a lot about like modern marriages and kind of what we expect of marriage and both like the good, bad and ugly. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that she talks about, though, is like when marriage was like the institution of marriage was created, we weren't living as long. Exactly. So it made a lot of sense to make lifelong commitments when it's like 20 years. (laughs) But now it's like, like to your point, for these women who are making these decisions or couples that are making these decisions later in life, that's still another 20, 30, you know, 40 years for them of life. That's like an entire lifetime for some people. So, and a lot of what I'm seeing is when people, you know, in their forties, fifties, sixties, their, um, their parents are, um, starting to pass on and, and this happened with my own parents. I mean, they were married for a very long time and I would not say that they were, I would say that they tolerated being married, but they didn't have lives. Hmm. And it was very sad at the end. And when you're watching people you know go through this and going, is that going to mean me in 30 years? Hmm. I think people are questioning, is that what they really want in their life? And, you know, sometimes people are fortunate enough to have two people in the marriage who want to actually work at that. Hmm. But oftentimes you don't. And it's when there's not two people who, again, are in alignment with that, having to do that work. You know, one person, and mostly women, will just say, nope, I'm not up for it. Hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah. So a lot of your work is around life coaching in addition to the divorce coaching. And I'm wondering, how do you encourage the clients that you work with to view divorce as an opportunity for personal transformation? and kind of guide them towards something that's brighter and juicier and more alive. Yeah, sometimes it's more challenging than other times. Some people are able to envision a future that they really desire. And some people can't come up with any desires in their life because Hmm. they feel like they never had that freedom to dream of those things. Yeah. And so 
it is a, um, you know, I do recommend there's some different books for people, but I think part of it is helping them wherever they are, you know, wherever they come to me, it's like, that's our starting point. Mm-hmm. And being able to, they're coming oftentimes, not always, they don't always see that they need to get a divorce mm-hmm. or that that's probably in their future. So sometimes it's helping to them to, to real reveal to themselves what's really happening in their lives. Mm-hmm. And it can take a little bit of time. I mean, you know, this isn't a, um, a one and done process. It's not like you go to the gym one day and you're in shape. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an ongoing, um, you know, working at it and kind of peeling uh, layers off a little bit at a time, but being able to help them create a picture, mm-hmm. um, a vision for their own future and what they might want. And sometimes it's maybe you want to watch a movie um, of your choice on a Saturday night. And sometimes maybe I want to go on a uh, a week-long spa retreat. It really has to do with who I'm working with and helping them. I, I mean, my website is called Get Into the Heart of Who You Are and What You're Meant For. Mm-hmm. And so when I help them sort of dig up and dig out of who they are and what they're meant for, then I help them find their solutions and their vision to what they really want in their life. So I'm probably the worst person to take anybody through a 12 step program (laughs) 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 because I, I, I help them reveal things to themselves as they're starting to come up. So it's, it's theirs. It's, they own it. It's, they take ownership of their life that way in a way that works at their pace, Mm -hmm. their cadence for it. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about how women don't know what they want, or they don't know what they desire. And that that's something that is so common. And I think that a lot of times, again, like in this midlife, and oftentimes, it's life after divorce, there's this desire to like, try to figure out like, what do I want? Like just answering that questions, it sounds like such a simple question. But it is one of the hardest questions. I think women have in general in their lives and especially in the bath, sorry, and especially in the bedroom, it's just like, you know, if you're having, getting to know a new partner and they're like, well, what do you like? And so many women are just like, blink, blink. I don't know. What do you like? Let's do that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And I, and I say that in a very playful way, but also like, I think that it's something that people are really deeply struggling with because we're not taught as women to want. I recently wrote a guide and I included this quote by, and I'm going to butcher her name, but Cassia Urbaniak quote was the most radical thing a woman can do is want. I'm wondering if you can kind of talk a little bit about like your own personal experiences in figuring that out. And if you could even speak to like the physical intimacy and things that you've kind of had to transform, like, obviously we know what you didn't want <laughs> um, from the marriages that made it real clear, but how did you kind of figure out what you do want maybe in the bedroom and in life? And, and in life. And I think they go hand in hand. Yeah. I want to just, I'm going to answer that, but you know, when you were talking about when we get to the point in a lot of those exercises that when we're reading books and things and we mm-hmm. don't, 
do the actual exercise. Yes. Um, that's part of getting to the heart of what you want is being able to just, I remember sitting down and trying to do some of those and going, I don't even know what to write. I'm embarrassed to write anything. And, and so, um, so I was, I was holding my own self back by not actually doing the worksheets or whatever that goes along with those things. And it, and it comes back to this uh, claiming your power in these situations and being able to say, yes, this is what I desire in my life. So for me, it came over time because I was afraid to say, you know, really what I wanted. And then one of my coaches asked me to come up with a personal mission statement. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> I don't know. Uh-huh. You know, and then, and it took me a few weeks to really do this. And one night I was lying in bed and it, boom, it hit me. And I woke up, wrote it down. This is years ago. I still have that. And it is it still is uh, a part of who I am now. And I think in terms of the physical intimacy, it is getting, it's taking that piece of it and being able to actually articulate to myself. And maybe it's in writing. I mean, when I develop my plan for who I want for my next um, love in my life, my final and, you know, everything, I mean, these are the parts I write this out and I just say, yes, I want somebody who is going to treat me like an amazing sex goddess and and be like intimate and kiss my neck. And I mean, these are the kinds of things, but I couldn't have told you that in five million years um, before I had to come through this process and learn who I was. Uh And it is. Like when you were saying that most people don't know what they want, uh-huh. I couldn't have answered that question. In fact, 95% of people everywhere don't know what they want yeah. or they can't articulate it. Uh-huh. And again, these are things that when you go through some different programs and things, you learn how to start unraveling some of that stuff, kind of dismantling this belief system that we've been um, grown up with and come to know mm-hmm. and allowed into our life and start to look at things differently. And so, you know, kind of rebuilding in a way that's going to work for us. And it's actually, it's a roadmap, but it's also, um, it's, um, it's, it's building the design or designing your life around what you are when you're able to actually let go mm-hmm. and say what you want. Mm-hmm. And so that, I mean, how that's played in my life is um, I'm now I'm very, very um, unapologetic about what mm-hmm. I want. And also, I don't try to find a way to fit a bad situation or a bad, potentially bad relationship into my box because he's a nice guy or something. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, one date in, I can see that this isn't going to work. I'm not going to try to drag this thing out and um, let it go. Wow. You know, and before yeah. I would have been uh, trying to, you know, I have that disease to please, you know, and which so many of us women do and being able to find out we don't have to worry about everybody else's feelings on this or that. It's not that we should be mean or anything. It's just like, 
put ourselves first and claim our own power in this and see yeah. what we want. And everybody is better off for it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that that's like one of the big reasons why I do what I do is just like if people can get in touch with what they want, especially like in this, like because physical intimacy, I'm drawn to that world because it is so vulnerable. Because like you said earlier, like we tend to like want to coach or help on areas that we want to develop in our own lives and so forth. But it really does like it becomes this like wellspring of like once you can kind of like start figuring these things out, like we're so much better in all the roles that you play and all the parts of life that you want to be engaged in. And it really is a beautiful thing that happens when women kind of claim and step into that power and own it unapologetically. Oh, like absolutely. You said. Um, and I love what you do, by the way. I think it is um, because we women are so multifaceted. Uh huh. And we don't think of all of these different areas that really play in to what our needs are and our desires uh -huh. and being able to open up to those kinds of things. It just helps us see ourselves more clearly. And so I, I just really appreciate what you do to kind of help people connect, make that connection with themselves. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Kind of going with the theme of desire. Can you talk a little bit about what you desire for yourself in 10 years from now, like the Michelle of 10 years from now, what do you hope you will have learned maybe that you haven't already learned yet? Or what do you want and desire for your life by then? Yeah, well, crazy as it seems in 10 years, I'm going to be in my early 70s. Okay. <laughs> and um, I am what I really desire and what I'm building in my life right now is, you know, this coaching practice to, you know, help other women, you know, create a ripple effect in the world of making the world a better place. Because every single one of us, when we learn to step into who we are and take our power, we 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 lift the world in a in a vibrational way that affects everything else and all the people around us and being able to for me to take that to a bigger level um as i'm building this world of mine i by that time i would like to have um at least one maybe two books that i've written and i have some aspirations to do some big um, other things in the world to help, uh, women grow into who they are and what they're meant for. By that time, I really want to have my King, I call him, um, the, mm -hmm. the man in my life that deserves me and desires me as much as I him. Mm -hmm. I see us doing some travel and, um, I've always dreamed of living part of my time in Paris. And so <gasps> I, <laughs> I believe yeah. that I will be living part-time in Paris then. And um, really just uh, seeing this world in a way that I didn't always, and just continuing to learn and grow. I mean, we're not done and we have so much to offer the world. And I, and then allowing myself to possibilities and opportunities that I'm not even aware of yet. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love the king language. 
I think that that is so powerful and beautiful. And that also means you get to be the queen. Oh, and I am a queen. I yes. don't mean that in a, I'm a, yeah. a diva. I am. I just, and I never saw that before. And it's not a princess mm -hmm. because it's not that I'm looking to be taken care of and being in a denial about what's really going on, but to really step into my queenly power mm -hmm. and be who I'm meant to be. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how I, um, I view life. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's possible for all of us. I really, I truly, from my heart of hearts, know that it's possible for everyone. Yeah. I love that. I'm so glad you came on the show and I got to get to know you. Thank you. I love <laughs> Thank this. you. Can you tell us where people can find you if they want to get connected with you after the show? Yes. And thank you so much for asking me. It's uh, my website is my name, www.michelleheffron.com. And it's M-I-C-H-E-L-E-H-E-F-F-R-O-N.com. I um, have a 1L Michelle, which oftentimes fall, uh, throws people off. <laughs> On my website, you can find some of my blog posts, and there's also a calendar link. Um, you can schedule a complimentary call with me if you just want to find out what's possible. You can opt in to receive my newsletter. And when you opt in, you get my copy of the 10 signs of what's healthy and unhealthy in relationships. Um, I think that's great for everybody to have. I think it works in your work life um, as well as if you have any kids. The program that I was with earlier was developed for um, young people, and mm. it really applies to their relationships um, overall. And uh, yeah, connect with me on social media, Facebook. I'm ramping up Instagram. That's been a little bit of a challenge for me, but I'm learning and um, LinkedIn. And I do have a podcast called Getting to the Heart. Yay. Thank you so much. We'll put all that information in our show notes as well, in case anyone was driving while <laughs> that yeah. was being shared, they can go back. But I really appreciate you sharing your story. I appreciate you doing the work in your life then taking that and sharing it with others, because it really is creating that ripple effect across the world. I, I think that's one of the biggest things for people to understand that they make a difference too. Mm -hmm. And everyone does. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, that ripple effect is, is a big deal. Yeah. Really do. Yeah. I'm a believer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michelle. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Oh my gosh. This has been so fun, Shauna. Thank you. Hey friends, before we sign off, I wanted to let you know that you now have the opportunity to support Life Turned On by subscribing to the podcast. So just even a few dollars a month will make a big difference in helping us to continue to have these meaningful conversations that have been not only super rewarding to myself, but I know many of you listeners as well. I've really enjoyed carrying these conversations into our everyday lives and really want to keep the momentum going. Your support will allow me to eventually hire an editor, which will free up a lot more time to create more content and better connect with all of you. So I appreciate your consideration. And if you're interested, you could just tap the little link in the show notes. Thank you. Bye. 
Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this story, I hope you'll subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Please share it with a friend to keep the conversation going and leave a review. That would be super helpful. We invite you to follow us on Instagram at Life Turned On Podcast. And if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at stories at lifeturnedonpodcast.com. And the next time you're looking for lingerie or sexual wellness products, I hope you'll consider shopping at lingerboutique.com so we can continue to normalize rest and pleasure together.